Hey everyone, I'm Tim Veenstra. Uh, I'm doing an internship at Mercy and uh, Blessings this summer for the next six months and I'm excited about that. I'm also excited to have the opportunity over this and the uh, next week upcoming to uh, deliver a couple of these uh, evening messages. And uh, during these two messages, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Kingdom of God. And now this is a huge theme in Scripture. Actually, some people suggest that the Kingdom of God is the main theme of the whole Bible. Um, uh, this might be overstating it a little bit, but you can see why they would argue that. If you look at the Old Testament or just uh, consider what you know of it, um, maybe you realize that uh, throughout the whole Old Testament, God is just finding and developing a kingdom of people for himself. And throughout all the books of the Old Testament, essentially, uh, the pro prophetic literature, the Psalms, the historical books, and all of these places, uh, the Lord uh, recounts his promise to establish a kingdom and, and most specifically to send a king who will reign eternally. And as soon as the New Testament starts as well, this theme is taken up once again, the, king, the theme of the kingdom of God. Um, in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 already, uh, you see this uh, theme spring up. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry and uh, his first uh, preaching, his first message is summarized uh, as saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what he's doing is saying that he's the king who the Old Testament is all about. He's the king that was promised. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'd like to just talk a little bit about what the coming of this kingdom means for us. Uh, first of all, this week, I'd like to talk about what it means uh, for God's kingdom to come and for Christ to be king in our lives personally. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit about what it means for Christ to come and for him to be king in the lives of others. Um, and, and this division, it wasn't my idea, uh, but instead this is a division that we see um, in one of our Reformed confessions in the, the uh, Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. And Lord's Day 48, uh, we have a brief explanation of what it means to pray, Thy kingdom come. And, and there, we'll, we'll read it in its entirety next week. Uh, but for now, we just need the first sentence to see what it means for God's kingdom to come in our life. There, in the first sentence of Lord's Day 48, we read, Your kingdom come, that is, so rule us by your word and spirit, that more and more we submit to you. And that's what we'll be discussing this week. Uh, but before we really dive in, uh, let me offer a quick prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity uh, to come together and to worship you, uh, even if it needs to be online. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to study one of the major themes of your word and to learn a little bit more about what it means uh, to live as Christians, to live as citizens of your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, teach us what it means, what it looks like to live as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our King, and who now uh, live as your loyal citizens. Uh, as we go through this message, we go through uh, this little passage of our confession. Please open up our hearts and our minds and fill us with your spirit. Uh, help us to understand the beauty of your word and help us to live in the light of it. All these things we pray, uh, not because we're worthy of it at all, but only in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you personally to pray to the Lord, your kingdom come? Uh, to understand what's going on in Scripture uh, with Christ's coming kingdom, it might be helpful to take a look at this famous picture from World War II. Uh, when this picture was taken, uh, Allied troops 
were trying to uh, invade, they were trying to take over an island that was being used by, as a military base by the Japanese. Uh, they, they needed a huge attack, and it was difficult for them to get a foothold on the island, but eventually uh, they managed. And, and when they attacked, uh, they were trying to get onto the beach. But right behind the beach, there was a huge hill, and, and that's where um, the enemy forces were hiding. And so they had a great vantage point. Uh, but eventually, they managed to break through, and that's uh, when this picture was taking place, when they got to the top of the hill and when they planted their flag. Uh, and, and this is a helpful comparison to Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, Jesus' ministry has often been compared to an invasion. So when Christ was born, uh, what was happening was the king of heaven was landing on earth. He landed in the midst of enemies. He, he landed in a land ruled by the devil and a land populated by people who had rebelled against him and rejected him as king. Uh, and when he came, he came as a king, and he came as one to liberate the oppressed. And, and as the American troops, they planted a flag proclaiming their victory, in spite of the fact that there was still a lot of fighting left to do. Uh, likewise, Christ declared his victory, uh, but Christ did it on the cross. It was by Christ's death and resurrection that he secured and declared his victory over sin and over the devil. And he planted his flag in the ground, and he declared himself to be king. And so if this is the kingdom of heaven, this is what's going on. If we're picturing this picture and the war going on around it, well, then what's our role in this war? Well, Scripture teaches us uh, repeatedly in the New Testament that by nature, we are Christ's enemies. In passages such as Romans 5 and Romans 8, in Colossians 1, we read that by nature, we are enemies of God. And so what do we have to do when confronted with this message of the king and his coming kingdom? It's simple. We need to surrender. That's Jesus' message, isn't it? His message in Matthew chapter 4. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to repent and acknowledge that we are not the rightful kings and queens of our own lives, but Jesus is. Even though we so often live as though we are the rulers, we're not. And as you see in our own lives, we see in the lives of those around us, we see throughout the Old Testament, when people try and elevate themselves to the position of their own kings and rulers and judges, there's so much pain and there's so much suffering and so much destruction. What we need to do is surrender and acknowledge Christ is our king. And we need to ask him to rule over every aspect of our lives. And the danger of portraying Christ coming in this way as an invasion is it makes it sound like it's a bad thing. But actually, this is wonderful news. That's because we were not made to be kings. We were made to serve a king. We desperately need a king who knows right from wrong. And no one is better suited to the task than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one through whom all things were made. Jesus is the king who knows each one of us better than we know ourselves. Jesus knows our wants. He knows our desires. He knows our needs better than we do. Uh, he knows good from evil. And, and more than that, he's a king who is kind who is gentle, who is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. He's not a king who is out of touch. 
Uh, instead, he's a king who loves us more sincerely, more perfectly than we even love ourselves. That, that's what we read in the gospel. That Jesus loved us sincerely enough to come and to suffer and to even die in your place. And he did this willingly and joyfully, even while we were still his enemies. What a great king. It's an honor to have him rule in our hearts. It's an honor to give him the throne. And so what we need to do is listen to Peter when he tells us in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That means in your hearts, in your mind, uh, set up a throne for Christ. Uh, invite him, accept his rule over every aspect of who you are and what you do. That's what we're praying for when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. We're asking that Christ might be our king, that he might rule over our hearts in ever-increasing measure. And the way he does that is by his word and by his spirit. And Jesus, throughout his whole life, he gives a beautiful illustration of uh, what it's like to be ruled by the word and by the spirit. Um, he especially gives uh, the perfect example of Paul's teaching in Colossians 3, verse 16. There we read, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And Christ had all of the word dwelling in him richly. We can see this especially when he was tempted by the devil, can't we? When he faced temptation, his natural response was to respond with the words of Scripture. And likewise, we too... Uh, ought to be filled with the living word of Christ. We can do this uh, by reading our Bible, by listening to sermons, by going to Bible studies, but most practically, maybe, we can just learn uh, from what Christ himself did when faced uh, by temptations, faced with temptations. Uh, likewise, with the struggles that we so often have, uh, the ones that we're familiar with, we can find and we can memorize texts that speak right into that situation. Uh, and maybe we're often prone to uh, be tempted towards anger. Well, then we can memorize texts like James 1, verse 20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, if we're prone towards gossip or slander, then maybe we can memorize Ephesians 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And so that's what we mean when we ask that we might be ruled by Christ through his word. Uh, but we also ask that Christ would rule us by his spirit. And Charles Spurgeon has been really helpful in under, helping me to understand what that looks like in day-to-day -day life. I read a story about Spurgeon recently. And uh, what I found out was that every time he went to take the pulpit, every time he went up to preach, uh, he was just uh, struck by a sense of inadequacy. Uh, feeling unprepared to go and pray, proclaim God's word. And so each time he offered a quick prayer, always the same prayer, just saying, Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And this is just a beautiful confession of dependence and submission, uh, submission uh, to the Lord's will. Essentially what he's saying is, Lord, I can't do this on my own and I know it. So please fill me and rule me by your spirit. And throughout our lives, we can do the same thing. Uh, when we're confronted with uh, things that we know we should do, but feel unprepared to do, unqualified to do, or feel like we don't want to do, we can offer this same prayer. Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Lord, 
help me and rule me uh, by your strength, by your spirit, so that I might live my way in my life in the way that you desire for me to. So may this be our prayer as we go forward this new week, that Christ might be enthroned in each one of our hearts, that more and more each day he might rule us by our, his word and by his spirit. That's what the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God means for each one of us personally. And next week we'll uh, discuss this topic again. Then we'll see what it means for Christ's kingdom to come, not only to us, but also to the lives of others. Thanks for joining me today, and we'll see you again next week.